From the newsrooms of the City Morning Herald and The Age, this is The Morning Edition. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Tuesday, February 13th. When we think of where our tax dollars go, we don't likely imagine that they're being sent to companies that have been linked to suspected arms and drug smuggling, corruption, or bribery. But this is what a new inquiry has found. Specifically, that multi-million dollar government contracts for the offshore processing of asylum seekers have been granted to companies that have been suspected of links to serious crimes. How could this happen? In the very government department, Home Affairs, that was created only seven years ago to unify our intelligence agencies so that they could function better. Today, investigative reporter Nick McKenzie on the systemic failures that led to this situation and what it will take after two similar inquiries in the last year alone to make sure it never happens again. And just a note, there is no suggestion that Craig Thrupp, the founder and majority shareholder of Paladin, is involved in or had any knowledge of any alleged crime, only that Paladin is one of at least three companies contracted by Home Affairs and suspected of paying bribes to Pacific Island officials. So Nick, the last time we spoke last year, you revealed a number of extensive failures within the Home Affairs Department, and that's led to two inquiries so far, and now a third. So can you please tell me about Dennis Richardson, the man who's headed up this latest inquiry, and what exactly he's been tasked with doing? Well, Dennis Richardson is perhaps the the most famous public servant ever to to grace Canberra. Uh, He's the former Director General of ASIO. He's the former Defence Department Secretary, Ambassador to the United States for Australia. Uh, He is respected across both sides of politics and very much so, and and known as a very fearsome and intelligent operator. Uh, He was assigned the task of looking at a scandal that we first raised in our reporting or uncovered in our reporting. And that is, we found that offshore processing, the policy by which the Australian government was spending billions of dollars uh, on PNG and Nauru, mostly under the former coalition, uh, but Labor's had involvement as well. And what we found was some of that money was going to companies that were involved in alleged bribery, so paying off local officials, politicians, in order to maintain those contracts or using the money in other suspect ways. Sometimes those companies themselves had links to corruption and different scandals. Uh, We revealed that. Richardson was appointed to investigate that and say, well, is this true? Is it correct that you found Home Affairs had contractual relationships with companies under active investigation by the Federal Police? Yes. Firms suspected of bribery and corruption? Yes. A firm whose CEO is being investigated for possible drugs and arms smuggling? Yes. A company implicated in suspected Iranian sanction busting and money laundering? Uh, A company whose directors were suspected of being so involved. For all this to have happened, there must have been one hell of a due diligence failure. Now, part of this story is that in itself, it wasn't actually that easy for you to even see the details of this inquiry. You'd actually been pushing to see the findings for months. Can you tell me about that? I think what's really important to understand is that the whole offshore processing regime is carried out really under a cloak of great secrecy, and that's supported by both sides of politics. And why? Well, they know there's a controversy in the community around offshore processing in respect of its human rights uh, impacts, its impacts on asylum seekers. But placing that aside for a second, there's also great 
concern in the community around all the money it costs to run offshore processing in places like Nauru and where that money ends up going. Nauru being a very, very corrupt country, is it being pocketed by senior politicians there? I mean, there's all these problems with these policies. However, both parties believe it's a political no-go to challenge the policy. It would reflect poorly on their border security credentials. And so they, they throw this cloak of secrecy over many aspects of offshore processing. We lifted up that cloak to expose the fact that some of this money was ending up in dubious pockets. This government, to its credit, the Labor government, appointed Richardson to, to test or, or examine that. Yet still, he did his inquiry under a cloak of secrecy. It was a classified inquiry. There was no public hearings. There was very little public accountability during the actual inquiry process. The terms of reference remain classified, I believe. We were leaked a copy of a version of the inquiry, a redacted version of the inquiry uh, some time ago. And we said to government, listen, we've got this. We're going to reveal it. We believe the public deserves to know what Richardson's found, even in redacted form, which ultimately led to the government, I think, agreeing to release it on Monday. Uh, and we were given access to Dennis Richardson to ask him questions about what he found. And we, and we did just that. But it wasn't an easy process. We had to go to government and ask for this to be cast into the sunlight. And we had to ask for access to Richardson. And it really was in keeping with, with those years of secrecy that, uh, that we had to go knocking on doors and pushing hard to get some sunlight in a place where the public really deserves to know what's going on. Okay, so Nick, I'd really love you to take me back to the moment, if you could, when you finally got to see this report. So what did you actually think when you saw it? So to read Richardson's report and, and to see that he's actually vindicated or validated our findings that there were these dubious money trails from the taxpayer through a contracting process to either dodgy companies or dodgy uh, foreign officials, wasn't surprising. I mean, one would have expected him to find that. What did surprise me, though, was the fact that he went further. He had access to vast, vastly more information than we did because he got access to all the intelligence held by our agencies, and he found dodgy companies getting money that I'd never heard of. The, the, the most shocking example is a company whose CEO was accused of alleged drug running and, and weapons smuggling. How on earth was that sort of a company getting Australian taxpayer dollars to involve itself in offshore processing? It's staggering to think of. So the fact that Richardson found more, I think, was very surprising. Uh, and while Richardson's uh, redacted and now released sanitised version of his inquiry is quite bland in many parts, when you read between the lines, you realise Richardson, while he had a limited task, a small jurisdiction, a limited powers and a very narrow job, he has pulled no punches. He has said... The due diligence was shocking. The vetting was shocking. Home affairs should have done better. Other agencies like the federal police should have done better. Money has gone to dubious companies and it shouldn't have. And he said that plainly and clearly. And I think to have that plain speaking is welcome. And I found that a bit surprising as well. Stands to reason then, though, that that failure to access readily available information led to alleged crooked companies being contracted. That's a fair comment. And therefore taxpayer money flowing to such alleged crooked entities? That's a fair comment. I mean, how surprised were you? Obviously, you've got extensive history covering all kinds of alleged corruption within government and other entities. So were you rattled? Were you angered when you saw this report? I think, I think we're trying to get our emotions involved in our reporting. Uh, but put it this way, I would have thought the public would be outraged to know that home affairs thought it was okay that 
At one time, the president of Nauru, the guy in charge for the Nauruan people and the Nauruan government, allowing Australia to come and run offshore processing there, was simultaneously a subcontractor. Now, this is the now former president, Lionel Langamia, that we thought, the government thought somehow it was okay to pay the president of Nauru to provide subcontracting services to offshore processing while he was the president. That's outrageous. That's clearly a massive conflict of interest, which raises alleged bribery concerns, blatant ones. That's outrageous. The amount of money that's spent on these contracts is simply outrageous. After the break, the systemic failures that led to these contracts. We've discovered the founding director of Paladin has made a personal profit, an estimated $160 million. Does that surprise you? It does surprise me, but it doesn't surprise me at, a, uh, at, a, uh, at another level. Uh, I suspect the profit margins in those contracts would have been very high. So, Nick, I think one of the most surprising findings of Richardson's inquiry was that some of the companies, including Paladin, actually had no history of expertise in providing the services that they were tasked to provide. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I mean, Richardson is a very cautious public servant. He wouldn't have said those words lightly, but he did make it clear that Paladin had come from from nothing, it had limited expertise, and suddenly got this half-billion-dollar contract. I mean, think about this. It's earlier contract. The biggest earlier contract it had prior to that half billion dollar contract was worth about three mil. I mean, it went from a tiny company to this massive entity. We know the director and, and majority owner of Paladin, this nothing firm that came from zero to hero in five minutes. The majority owner of that company has profited clear earnings, pure profit of over $150 million in his own pocket. He now owns a super yacht and some mansions off the taxpayer dime. And that aside, his company, Paladin, is separately accused of using taxpayer money to pay bribes to P&G officials in order to allow it to keep running its contract where these huge profits are being made. But it wasn't just Paladin. I think a real question that arises from all this is, should there be more accountability? Should there be a Royal Commission? Who's actually held to account? Not a single person, single company, single official, has been held to account for blatant and massive wastage of public resources, alleged bribery and corruption, and other alleged fraud and financial crime. Now, maybe that will happen. There's two federal police investigations afoot. One's probing Paladin over allegations that paid bribes in PNG. One's probing Canstruct, another offshore processing contractor, a, a private Brisbane company, over similar alleged financial crimes. But we know the AFP has a poor track record in laying charges when it comes to this crime type. I don't think the public can hold its breath, hoping for an outcome uh, from federal police investigations in this area. So we're left with no accountability or little accountability. Uh, and we ask ourselves the question, is that good enough? How could this happen? How was there not a system of checks and balances to stop this from happening? A very good question. Uh, Richardson did look at this question tangentially. And what he said was, there was limited supply. So there was limited companies offering the services needed. And why was that? Well, basically offshore processing was had reached this sort of pariah status. Large companies knew they would suffer great corporate reputation if they continued to run offshore processing on behalf of the Australian government. Yeah, multinationals were pulling out. They did not want the work. That's how these tiny companies got these massive contracts. Is that excusable? Well, what Richardson says is, 
despite these time pressures, despite th these issues that were forcing the government's hand to some ex extent, what still should have happened was some basic due diligence and vetting. And that did not happen. What Richardson finds is one arm of government wasn't talking to another. In his words, a breakdown of communication. But it gets worse. Austrac, our anti-money laundering agency, and Austrac was saying in its intelligence reports, hang on, this looks like bribery, this looks like fraud, this looks like corruption. And it was giving those very reports to Home Affairs, its intelligence division. But no one from Home Affairs procurement, the people in charge of these contracts, were accessing that readily accessible information. This is what Richardson found. So it was that failure to access that information that is at the heart of this broad failure to protect taxpayer dollars, to ensure value for money and to ensure Australia wasn't fueling corruption offshore. So do we know why this failure of communication actually occurred? Well, why does government get things wrong so often? And I think we look to, to you know, is it a saying is that you know, do you prefer conspiracy or incompetence? There's two issues at play. There is incompetence. You know, there were failures of systems and Richardson's found that. But what he doesn't find, I think what's the open question here, is you know, people in home affairs, they're not idiots. The senior people in home affairs are not idiots. They are smart, savvy public servants. The reality is they were under a huge amount of political pressure to get this done. Both sides of politics wanted to make sure offshore processing remained in place. And so they had to get it done by whatever cost, whether that was spoken political pressure or unspoken political pressure. And I should say, Richardson has found no ministerial involvement or pressure in his investigation. Uh, but nevertheless, we know that there was a huge amount of pressure placed in the department to get these contracts in place, to get offshore processing set up and then maintained. And some of the examples that you provided in your report, in your investigation, are actually quite shocking in terms of the lack of communication. I believe in one case, the Australian Federal Police had actually been investigating a particular individual for foreign bribery offences and knew that that person was in a contractual relationship with the Department of Home Affairs, had been investigating this person for three years, but I believe the Home Affairs Department didn't actually find out until it read it in a press release. It's a shocking failure of information and intelligence sharing. But then it gets even worse. Home Affairs kept paying this guy even after he was convicted in the courts of this corruption, paying him millions. Now, I asked Richardson how on earth that could have happened. He said, well, the Home Affairs had legal advice that it was okay to do that. But he also said he found it questionable. To be clear, you're saying the AFP is investigating an alleged bribe payer and for three years they failed to tell Home Affairs their own department Home Affairs is separately paying that alleged bribe payer to run offshore processing. That's quite right. And I think, to be honest, he was being polite. I mean, it's it staggers. It's beyond belief that we would think it's ever appropriate to, to pay a corporate entity linked to somebody who is convicted of corruption, which was the case uh, in, in this case. Uh, and I don't think government will be doing it again. And that's the point of the Richardson inquiry. I mean, he's very clear these reforms need to be in place. These sort of situations need to be avoided into the future when taxpayer money is being used, when significant contracts uh, are involved, and when the reputation of Australia is on the line. I mean, it really does beggar belief. Nick, I want to turn back to the idea of accountability in all of this. I know you touched on it a bit earlier, because I know it's something you actually discussed fairly extensively with Dennis Richardson. So what was Richardson's perspective on this? Well, Richardson had a limited inquiry, and he says, perhaps justifiably, my job was to find out what went wrong, and I found that out. Now, government 
home government agencies, home affairs, didn't access information that should have to prevent or to ensure that it wasn't contracting to allegedly corrupt or allegedly criminal companies. That's what went wrong. wrong. How do we fix it? We make sure information is accessed in the future. And I said to him, well, what about the people who stuffed up? And what about those on the company end who, who engaged in that alleged corruption? Uh, what about them? Are we, are we going to hold them to account? And ultimately, our Westminster system of politics dictates that responsibility flows up to the minister. But what about the minister who was in charge through much of this processing, who is now the opposition leader, Peter Dunn? Now, Richardson would not buy into the question of political accountability. Fair enough. He's a public servant. That's not his job. He said, though, when it came to public servant accountability, he didn't want to name names. He didn't want to name and shame. He didn't want to hold individuals to account. Many of them had moved on. He felt simply ensuring future reform was better than previous accountability mechanisms. And regardless, his inquiry did not have the power, in his words, to hold a gun to people's heads, to hold them to account. That's the job of, of other entities. And to wrap up, Nick, I mean, where to from here? How has the current government responded? And what do we know about the current contracting regime for our offshore detention centres? Do we know if they're currently up to scratch or if the Australian public should really be worried about what's happening there currently? Richardson has found that the current major contractor on Nauru, the public can have faith in that, uh, subject to some improvements. The bad news is this. The current government has the power to make sure all that wrongdoing Richardson has exposed from the past is properly held to account, and we're not seeing much of that. But what about real action? What about real accountability? This is where the media has a critical role in asking these questions and holding people to account. Thank you so much, Nick, for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Today's episode of The Morning Edition was produced by Tammy Mills, with technical assistance by David McMillan. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. The Morning Edition is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. And sign up for our Morning Edition newsletter to receive a comprehensive summary of the day's most important news, analysis and insights in your inbox every day. Links are in the show notes. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is The Morning Edition. Thanks for listening.